Hey, well, good to, good to see you all this morning, and uh, I want to just put one more thing on your, on your radar, and that is we are looking forward to a special Sunday on March the 5th, which is coming up. Uh, we are planning for a baptism Sunday that day, and, uh, you know, these are some of my favorite Sundays. And, you know, when you think about the commands and, and all the things that Jesus teaches in the, in the New Testament and the Gospels, really he only gives us two direct commands. And the one is to be baptized in order to identify with him in coming to faith. And the second is to remember him by joining together in the communion that is celebrating together the Lord's table, where Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, which we're going to do today at the close of our time. We do that here at Wellspring on the second Sunday of, of most months. But you know, I remember my own baptism vividly and if you've been baptized, I trust that you remember yours that day. Um, but if you have believed in your heart and you have made a confession of faith that you believe Jesus and you believe him to be Lord of your life, you've invited him to be so, as it says in Romans 10, then I just want to say this morning as your pastor that being baptized is your next step. It's the next thing God wants you to do in following him and welcoming his work into your life. Baptism is about sharing that you have given your life to God out of knowing and seeing that he has given his life in Jesus for you and for me and for all of us and for anyone who will call upon him and accept him into their life. And so today, I just want to say, if that's, if that's you today, if you've believed in your heart and you've made a confession of faith, that you've asked Jesus to be Lord of your life, and you've not yet been baptized, then I want to invite you to let Pastor Dan know today, because he would love to help you uh, take that amazing next step. If you've got his number, you could text him in the service. It'll be okay. He won't be offended, I promise. Maybe, hopefully. We'll see afterwards. But anyhow, Connect with Pastor Dan, and he'll help you take that next step as we look ahead to this really special Sunday. Well, I want to begin my talk this morning with, with a question that I want to pitch to you. And, and the question that I want you to consider this morning as we go along in the message and bring things back around is, is this. Have you ever, uh, has there ever been something in your life that you were hoping for or, or felt you were promised, you know, that that you had to wait for a long time, maybe to the point where you even, you know, wondered if it was going to happen. You know, you might be thinking about your boyfriend popping the question, you know, for instance, or maybe it's the Leafs winning the Stanley Cup, and you're still waiting for that one, and you may wait a little longer. Or maybe it was getting pregnant. You know, maybe that was the thing that you were hoping for, and it just took forever, it seemed. Or maybe, and I don't want to jump on the bandwagon here too much, but maybe it was being at the Emerge and waiting to see a doctor. Or maybe it was your husband's promise to fix that thing at home. I have a few of those outstanding items in my own home. But what is something that, as you think about your situation, your life, you know, your journey, what is something you have had to wait for, or maybe are still waiting for, um, that just has felt like a long time to the point where you've begun to wonder, is this even going to happen? So just take a moment and share what comes to mind with you, big or small, with the person beside you. Talk and think amongst yourselves, okay? Go for it.
number of things were coming to mind, and you know, if you're anything like me, there's things in all of our lives that we, like, we feel like we, we've waited on or we're hoping for that just hasn't happened, and, and that's a question I want to keep coming back to this morning. As we turn again this morning to the book of Exodus, where we've been the last number of weeks, and today to Exodus chapter 6. So I want to invite you to grab your Bible with me and go there to the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, the epic story in Scripture of God delivering His people, the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Jacob, from a really bad place, from from slavery in the land of Egypt under the tyrannical rule we read of Pharaoh, its king of the time, who was bent on oppressing God's people. And uh, so whether you're there in your your paper Bible or you're there uh, on the Bible that's on your phone, as we've said, as we've been following along, making our way from chapters one through five, and now today six, This is an amazing story. This is an amazing story that has probably far more to it than any of us realize as we begin to crack it open and just begin to observe line by line what God reveals to us through the story of Moses' life, the life of the Israelites, the lives of other real people who learned real things at the hand of God in him taking them on a journey of being delivered and giving them new beginning, and taking them to a new place, a physical new place, but more importantly, a new place with him. And so this is not just a story. This is God's word to you. This is God's word to me for my journey, for your journey, and we are going to trust the Holy Spirit this morning again, just as we have been doing all along, to illuminate the truth of God's word this morning in this story for us to apply to our own journey, our own questions, our own moments with God, our own wonderings, our own situation as we wait on God for things in our lives that we see our promises that he has made to us in his word. You know, if you're just joining us for the first time, we're making our way just through the first 15 chapters of this longer 40-chapter book where God takes his, his people in chapter one, as you've heard, from a place of slavery to chapter 15 to a a place of song in their heart over what God has achieved and done in their lives as they learned to trust him through many ups and downs. And in chapter 15, after people get there, they finally get there, they, they burst into praise and they give God thanks for bringing them to the place of rescue, of, of freedom and of new beginning, uh, in their lives at the power of God at work in their lives. And, you know, the thing is, though, this morning as we see, we're at an inflection point in the story where they're wondering if this thing that God has promised he will do will happen. We have the advantage this morning of having their story in our hands And we get to see ahead what is going to happen. We can zip right through to chapter 15 if we wanted this morning and kind of see, yes, they made it. And then they, and we get to see the rest of the story in the book and we get to see what God did in the ensuing chapters and the ups and downs and even some of the failures they had. But I want us to resist jumping ahead to the end for a moment and just to see the things that God was saying to his people in the midst of them not yet seeing what God had promised. If you recall where we left off last Sunday at the end of chapter 5, you know, as, as Moses and his brother Aaron with him, as we were looking, 
Do the thing that God called them to do in going to Pharaoh, to tell Pharaoh to let God's people go. Things, as we looked at, only got worse. They went from from bad already to worse. And instead of seeing their lives delivered as God said he would, for a time the Israel's plight became oppressed, even more difficult, and even more depressing. And that just didn't compute for Moses. It just didn't compute for the Israelites after hearing God's promise, and it likely wouldn't compute for you or for me. And maybe you've had your own moments of questioning when, God, you said this, and I am experiencing this. And what's the deal with the space in between? And as Pharaoh rejects God's word, Pharaoh demands that the Israelites, you know, begin to find their own straw to make the bricks that they are forced to make as slave laborers to build not their house, but Pharaoh's kingdom. And not only that, but Pharaoh says, say, you're going you're to make just as many as you did before, and you're going to learn, and you're going to do more with less. And this is a picture of the enemy doubling down and resisting in your life what God wants to do. And the question is, when you have those moments of resistance from the enemy, what will you do? How do you respond? How do you look at it? You know, when it first came to them through Moses and Aaron, God's word of, of, of salvation, when, they, when Moses and Aaron did the thing that God told them to do, they went to their people in Israel, they gave them the gospel, and when they received that word, the people erupted in jubilation in hearing God's word that he was going to save them. And they had like a, a, like a big special worship service. And, and they just celebrated they took it to heart. But now after acting upon that message, in, in Moses and Aaron going to Pharaoh, as we said, their lives have become, you know, harder instead of easier. But we have the benefit of the knowledge that in the end it got better as they stuck with God. And so what do the people do in that moment as we read last week? They, they turned on Aaron and Moses they blamed God and they went and they came for his representatives. And that's just the way that the enemy works sometimes. But they took out their anger on Moses and Aaron. And we see that in the story, even as we ended last week, that, that Moses was ups, as upset as the people, only his response to the situation was more godly than theirs. What made Moses' response different from theirs, even though he was just as upset as they were about this dissonance and this gap between what God had said and what God had seemingly delivered or not delivered? And what we see is that Moses went to God. He took his complaint, he took his angst, he took his frustration, he, he took his hurt, and he went first and foremost not to another person, but to God. And you know, God was honored by Moses, by Moses choosing to go first and foremost to God with his complaint, and Moses honoring God with his honesty. Moses didn't get all religious and try to find a sweet way to say the thing he was saying that was on his heart before God. He's like, God, I know you know all things anyway. You know what I'm thinking. You know what I'm feeling. So I'm just going to say it. In reverence, but in honesty, you know? And then going to God instead of people, what is Moses doing in that moment? He is honoring God because in going to God, he is, 
he is, what he's really saying is, God, I know that you're in control. I know that you are God. I know that you're the only one who can really address the issues that I'm facing right now. No other human being can really address the things that I am going through. Only you. And you know, a, a, another way of talking about going to God is just the word faith. Faith is going to God. That's really what it is. And so even when you're hurt, I just want to say that this morning, even when you're hurt, even when you're angry, even when you're disappointed, confused, upset in terms of taking God seriously at his word and then not seeing it land, in those moments, you're you're demonstrating faith when you take all that and you go to him with it. And I just find that personally freeing. And that's what we see in the example of, of David in Psalm 142, where he says, I pour out before him my complaint. Before him, I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you. And he's speaking to God in this prayer who watch over my way. You know, when you're at a restaurant or when you've seen people at a restaurant and they, they have a complaint because something just has not gone right, you know, in the experience, who do they want to speak to? Who's the first person they want to talk to to get somewhere in the conversation? Who do they ask for at a store or a restaurant or any other place like that? They want to talk to the manager, right? You want to talk to the manager. And why do you want to talk to the manager? Because the manager is the one who can really address the situation. They're the one within the authority and they have the place. And that is what Moses is doing with God here at the end of chapter 5. And this is what Moses is doing. And he's saying, you know, God, you, you promised to save us. God, you said this, this, and this. And over here, this, this, and this hasn't happened. Why isn't this happening? Why isn't the thing that you said that we believed isn't happening? These weren't my ideas, by the way, God. This is what you said to us that we took to heart. And maybe this is close to home for you this morning. Maybe that kind of dialogue inside is close to home for you, where you have a situation that's been going on in your life for maybe a long time that you would have hoped would have maybe changed by now, that you've actually been waiting on God for, that you think is, is legit based on what he has said in his word, in the promises that he, he makes to us, promises like the one that God gives us through the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, where it says, hey, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new, she's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Only you don't feel like you've seen much of the new you yet. Or the promise Jesus gives in John 8, where Jesus, in talking about himself, says, hey, if, if, anyone, if the Son sets you free then you're free indeed, only you don't feel free from some of the inner struggles or, or battles that you have been going through in your life journey thus far. Or like the promise Jesus gave in that communion moment of the, of the Last Supper in John 13, you know, as Dan was opening this morning with that thought about Jesus getting down on his hands and knees and, and demonstrating his humility, demonstrating the love of the Father, demonstrating his submission to serve the Father by serving us. And in, in amongst that moment, Jesus says to them after, after he is sharing that moment with them, he says, now that you know these things, these, these things I've taught you about serving one another, about the love of the Father, the importance of having a humble posture, you'll be blessed if you do them. 
Only maybe for you don't feel blessed as you've been trying to do those things. You know, when you consider the, the promises of God that he gives us in Scripture, have you ever been tempted by the thought of wondering, you know, does God overpromise and underdeliver? I mean, is it even okay for a preacher to say these things? But I, I see the, the nitty-gritty of these real-life questions in the Scriptures for us. And I believe that this story in Exodus is here for you and me for those kinds of moments that we all have in our journey. You know, I ask the question because we turn now to chapter 6. This is where Moses and the Israelites find themselves in God's promise to deliver them. You know, later this afternoon... Uh, there's something on TV that a few people are going to be watching, you know, and uh, I'm going to be one of those people. I'm going to be rooting for Kansas City today. It's Super Bowl Sunday, as you know, and I see someone waving their finger at me already, but, um, but you know what the amazing thing about the Super Bowl is before we get to Exodus 6 is the commercials. It's not, not the football game. It's, it's the commercials. Every year, people tune into the Super Bowl not so much to watch the game, but to get a glimpse of the commercials. And sponsors will pay millions of dollars for a 30-second time slot to convey their message. And so as we begin to look at what God says back to Moses in Exodus 6, in the spirit of Super Bowl, I just want to give you in 30 seconds or less what I think you and I are going to see. And this is what I believe we're going to see in God's response to Moses' complaint. That when God's promises seem delayed, God gives us the reassurance of his word to keep believing. Let me just repeat that. When God's promises seem delayed, God gives us the reassurance of his word to keep believing. Flipping up, fast forward to the New Testament, 1 Peter 3, it says, Dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And it's because in the plan of God, there is patience and there is timing in the fulfillment of his word over your life. And God's word to Moses that we're about to read reflects patience. And it reflects God's divine timing in terms of the fulfillment of the things that God had promised him. And in these words that we're about to read, God says, I am who I am, and I will do what I said I will do over your life. If you remember, Moses says, why, Lord, have you brought this trouble on this people? And then chapter 5 ends with, Moses adding one more thing to the list in his quiet time with God where Moses says in his complaint, and you've not rescued your people at all. This is Moses' complaint. So let's now go to Exodus 6 to verse 1 and God's response. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. And God begins by saying back to Moses, now, now you're going to see it. Now you're going to see what I will do. Now that I brought you to a place 
of having hope in me, now that I've brought you to a place of hearing my word, now that I've brought you to a place where you see your need for me and you see that I am your answer, now that I've brought you to a place where you've even been tested in your belief, now you will see what I'm about to do. See, in God's plan, there is a, there's a timing to things. We're not always ready for the things that God has promised to do for us in our lives. And so God will take us on a journey. He will use trial. He will use circumstances to graciously birth within us faith. He'll graciously use the timing within us to make us ripe for the things he wants us to receive as we continue to believe. And he makes a way for his will to be done. Here's the other thing about God's timing. Not only does God choose timing in a way that prepares us, but the timing of the things that God wants to do in your life and mine in terms of fulfillment of Scripture also has to do with the lives of others. Because God is actively tying your story to the lives of other people and their story. God's plans for you aren't just about you. They are also about the plans that God has for other people he's tied to you. And so God is bringing you on a specific journey that at a specific time, you're going to begin to see things about him that you will have a a timely word or a timely action or a timely encouragement or a timely something in obedience that will impact someone else at the right time in their life. And so sometimes God's promises and plans feel delayed because God is weaving our story with the story of another. You know, back in Genesis 15, as we look at the larger story of the Bible, the larger story of Exodus, back in Genesis 15, God gives Abraham a timeline, a prophetic timeline of future events for his descendants. And in verse 15 of chapter 15 of Genesis, God says this, hundreds of years earlier to Abraham, know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. This is what God tells Abraham years before. And then as we keep reading Genesis, God adds this. In in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, the land of Canaan, present-day Israel, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. God bringing the Israelites back to Canaan out of Egypt, as God promised Abraham, coincides with God's plan for this people group called the Amorites, who we read about have incredibly hurtful and and wicked practices that they are promoting in their culture that God wants to bring to an end. We read about them in Leviticus chapter 18, which we're not going to go to today, but God has a plan to deal with them through the conquest of Canaan, through the leadership of Joshua, following God delivering his people from Egypt through Moses. And so God first delivers his people Egypt to set them up, not only to enter the land, but also in the process to deal with another group of people that God is concerned about and the way that they are headed. And so now God is saying, this is the time. After all this time, this now is the time. These 400 years are about to be over, and the wickedness of the Amorites soon come to an end. God's timeline for your life and mine is just way bigger than the narrowest narrowness of how we sometimes see our life. You know, in the book of Acts in the New Testament, we get a similar message. In Acts 17, the apostle Paul preached this. He says, from one man, as in Jesus, God made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked 
out their appointed times in history and boundaries of their lands. And Paul says God did that so that in the uniqueness of those times and places, those people would seek God out in the unique time of their life and their history. And what we take away from that point is this. You and me were planned for this moment to live in this place and to seek God amidst this culture and this time. And God has a timing for the specific things he wants to lead you into in terms of fulfillment of his word over you. And so now Moses gets a now word from God. God tells Moses that now is the time he's, that he's going to begin to use his power to deliver his people. Only I think as we read this, and we know maybe the larger story of where things go from here, that God, we need to acknowledge that God's idea or definition of now just seems so different than, than, than ours, than, than mine or your understanding of now because of what God is going to do. If we know the rest of the story, we know that God's idea of now is not overnight. It's the, the word now for God is simply the beginning. It's going to be the beginning of a longer journey. The, the, the now word is going to lead the people of Israel and Moses to a series of things. First, a, a series of, of, of plagues, then a special moment of sacrifice and sacrificing a lamb and covering the doorposts of their home uh, with its shed blood, that God's sentence of judgment over Egypt would not come to them but would pass over them on account of their lives and their homes and their households being marked with the blood of that lamb a foreshadow of the blood of Jesus that marks our hearts, that God's judgment would pass over us in giving up his life in death on our behalf. This now word from God to Moses would also entail leaving and going out into the wilderness to a new place, new territory, and even include being chased back for a moment where they would be pressed yet again to believe God to intervene, to finally get them to the place that he had promised to lead them. And so what I want us to see this morning as we look at this response of God to Moses that now is the time, that now is just the beginning. Now is just the beginning. But God's not lying. He's not lying when he says this to Moses. He's just saying, your deliverance is going to be a journey, and this now is just the beginning. This will be a process of you becoming fully saved. And that's the same for you and me in our journey with God as followers of Jesus. I've had moments in my life where I felt like, God, why just haven't you changed me in this area yet? I've had moments in my life where I feel like, why haven't I just had this breakthrough yet? Maybe in my character or my circumstances or when I prayed for this, why didn't I yet see someone get healed or, you know, what, whatever it might be. But, you know, the moment that we believe in Jesus and the moment we, we confess him as Lord of our life, as it says in Romans 10, verse 9, it says, you'll be saved. It says, you'll, you'll be saved. And what we see in that is that being saved is both a now and it's also a not yet. It's both a now and a not yet. As a believer in Jesus, you're already saved and in the kingdom. That's your position with God and you've been given the deposit of the person of the indwelling Holy Spirit within you, marking you. But you haven't yet seen the fullness of the kingdom for your life. 
It's now, but it's also not yet. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, John says, Dear friends, we're, we are children of God, and what we, what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, then we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. It's, it's now, but it's also not yet. And for some of you who are waiting on God to bring change to your life, who are waiting on God to deliver you, who are waiting on God to meet you in a certain way, who have been believing you know, God's word and are just saying, God, where are you? You've been praying for your kids to come back to faith. You've, you've been praying for a healing for something. You've been asking God to provide work to open a door, whatever it might be. God's answer is now, but it also might be not yet. His answer might be, yeah, I'm doing it now, but now is the beginning of a, of a journey I'm taking you on. Let's come back to the text, to what God says to Moses next. In verse 2, it says, God then said to Moses, well, something he had heard before. In verse 2, God says, I am the Lord. He says, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, else should I. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. And so after giving Moses this now word, God repeats to Moses what God had already told him before. God repeats himself. He says, I am the Lord. Why does God repeat himself? It is not because you and I, it is not because he's absent-minded. It's because you and I need to hear over and over again who God is, what he says he will do, and that he will be faithful to, to his word. We need to hear God's word over and over again, even the simple message of the gospel, that it might truly sink in to our hearts. That's what Sundays are all about, coming back again to the Word of God together, that it might more deeply sink in. And so to Moses, four times in this chapter, God says to him, I am the Lord. But he adds something new, though, in this word to Moses. He says, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. And God is talking about those he has spoken to before, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants. And what is God saying to Moses in this? I think he's saying this, that Moses, on the journey that I'm about to take you on, and these people with you, you are going to have a knowledge of me and what I can do that others will not have because of the journey you've been willing to follow me on. Are you with me there? See, God's about to show Moses things that he hasn't shown to other people on account of the journey that God is going to take Moses on that will not be easy. You see, God not only teaches by his word, but he also teaches by experience. We learn God by taking steps of obedience to follow. And in the journey of following obediently in all the ups and downs, we more know God than just hearing about him in his word. We need both the word and obedience activating in our lives to bring us to a more full knowledge of him. Are you with me? Are you following what I'm saying? And so you see, if, if God is taking you through something right now, if, if God is making you wait on him for something that you believe is legit in terms of what he has said in his word, but you haven't yet seen it. The, the reward for sticking with God and allowing him to take you on that up and down journey of being delivered, of becoming changed, 
of becoming, seeing over time his promises fulfilled, is at the end of it, you will more fully know him. And I mean know in the experiential, heartfelt sense. This is what I believe God is saying to Moses. All of the outward resistance, the inward waiting, and difficulty produces in you a knowledge of God that others will not have if you choose to persevere. And so looking back, God showed Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob some truly amazing things if we go back to Genesis. But God now is about to show Moses some other amazing things in the uniqueness of his journey. And you right now are in the process of God showing you things if you will pay attention and follow him in the uniqueness of your journey as you take his word and you take your life and you go, God, help them come together. Take me on a journey of bringing these two things together, which I can see by experience and your word is not always a straight line. Are you with me? And so God reminds them that in all this, he's still the Lord. Don't give up. And in verse 6, God gives a word to the Israelites. And in this word, he gives seven I will statements. God says, I will seven times. These are seven things I am going to do for you. Let's read them. I'll bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I'll free you. I'll redeem you. I'll take you as my own people. I will be your God, and I will bring to you the land I swore, and I will give it to you as a possession to hear God's heart for his people in all those things. And so in this moment of not yet seeing it, God repeats his word to them, and he repeats his promise to them. He says four times, I'm God, and seven things that he will do as they learn to continue to trust in him. In 2 Corinthians 1, it says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken to us to the glory of God. In Jesus, we find the fulfillment of all of God's promises as we learn to trust him for our lives. And they are things that we are going to begin to experience now. The peace of God. The, the change of God in our character. But also the not yet. The new body. The eternity. The all things being healed and redeemed that are still yet to come. That God says, I will do. I will do. I will do. I want to invite uh, you to stand with me as we prepare our hearts for communion. I want to invite the worship team to join me on the platform here this morning. I want to invite those who are serving the elements to come forward as well to help us prepare. This morning we want to close by coming to communion together. This thing that Jesus has called us to do. In a moment I'm just going to invite you as we begin to worship to come down these two middle aisles and come to each of the servers at the end. They're going to hold out two simple emblems representing Jesus' broken body and his shed blood. Jesus says, I want you to look at this symbolic meal that was foreshadowed by the Passover meal of Exodus to see the assurance of your salvation was secured and my promise for you was secured by what I did for you at the cross in giving up my perfect life for you, in my body being broken for you, 
and my blood being shed for you, the perfection of me being shed for you to cleanse you from all of your imperfection, all of your sin, everything in you that would threaten what God would want to do in you. It's all canceled on account of the power of the blood of Jesus. The assurance of God's promises for your life do not rest upon your performance. Do not rest on what you are striving to do, but what on he has already done for you. And I love communion because it reminds us that the basis of our salvation, the basis of God fulfilling his word over our lives, rests on the shoulder of Jesus, rests on his broken body and his shed blood. And so if, if you have things that you're still waiting on him to do in your life, I want to invite you to recommit to believing him for whatever those things are that are according to his word. As you approach this table, say, Lord Jesus, I just want to keep believing you for your work in my life. I want to keep believing that you're going to provide all the things that I need. You're going to take me to the place you want me to be. You are going to give me the answers I need to my needs and issues. I'm coming to this table this morning believing you're God. And I bring my honest heart to you. And I see the assurance of my salvation and your the promise of your word for me and what you did for me at the cross. And so I will keep waiting on you and I will trust you to strengthen me as I eat and drink in remembrance of you. Jesus, that's our prayer this morning. That's our prayer this morning.